ora. I'm Laura Clark, the British High Commissioner to New Zealand. Welcome to another episode of Tea with the High Commission, the British High Commission's podcast, where we interview a range of interesting people talking about anything and everything, and in the process discover the great connections between the UK and New Zealand. Hello, my name is Connor Leafley, and I'm a communications officer at the British High Commission in Wellington. Our guest today is the head coach of the New Zealand Sevens team, Clark Laidlaw, who is kind enough to sit with us today at the Sevens base in Tauranga before heading off to the London League of the World Seven Series. Thank you for being with us today, Clark. Yeah, thank you. I'm sure people will be able to guess once they hear your accent. You're actually Scottish. You represented Scotland internationally as a Sevens player before making the transition to coaching. Was it your success as a player that made coaching the natural next step? Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, when I was playing Sevens for Scotland, we, we were sort of part-time. So I was a mechanical engineer when I left school. Um, and I played rugby professionally and semi-professionally for a few years and I was looking for a part-time job I guess so I got into rugby development um, with my, my hometown club Jed Forest back in Scotland and through that when I finished playing I worked for East Lothian Council as a rugby development officer um, so I guess that transition had started as I, as I was finishing playing um, you know working in, in youth sport um, for a council as well as my local club and I guess it just evolved from then. Came to New Zealand in 2008 as a as a rugby development officer, working with you know school sports in, in Taranaki, on the west coast of New Zealand. And um, yeah, I guess I got into to more serious coaching or adult coaching over the last few years. Was that the goal when you came over to New Zealand to get into the more serious side of coaching? Not really. Um, we thought we'd maybe come for a year or two. My wife and I we had our first little girl then, who was only one. So we thought it'd be a life experience, you know, come over, experience rugby, um, you know, live in another part of the world. Um, I was really conscious I wanted to see, you know, I suppose how New Zealanders looked at rugby and looked at the game. One year led to, to seven or eight, and then I was in London for two, and then I've now been back in New Zealand nearly two years. So I wouldn't say I was, you know, I had it all scripted out in front of me. It was um, more around opportunities that came up that, that evolved and, and kept me in the country a bit longer than we'd planned. I know. Here in New Zealand, we tend to think of ourselves as sort of the gold standard when it comes to rugby. Is that how we're seen overseas? I, th I certainly think um, everybody still looks to New Zealand around what the game's looking like and how it's being shaped. I think maybe over the last few years, the Northern Hemisphere are becoming a bit more comfortable in their own skin. You know, that, that the game can be played in different ways and be coached in different ways. And I think that's maybe the evolution of professional rugby that, you know, initially New Zealand were, were quite far ahead in some respects around around how the game was played, you know, and I suppose as a Scotsman and having played against New Zealand and quite a close affinity to, to New Zealand as people, then that link was always there, you know, that sort of inquisitiveness around, you know, what did they actually get up to over here? How did they produce such good rugby teams for a small country? Um, was probably where my head was at. And how you're saying in terms of like the, the different styles, I know right there wrongly there tends to be quite a lot made is that UK teams never found a ball they couldn't kick into touch. And New Zealand teams, you know, it's sort of very backline focused. Mm. Personally, like the comparison between the playing styles and the cultural styles between New Zealand and the UK, like was it quite a big transition for you to make? Oh, I think I think the the cultural side's a big difference. So, you know, I'd never coached um, Pacifica players or Maori players in Scotland. You know, we're all you know roughly the same European white boys brought up you know in s from similar backgrounds. And when you come to New Zealand, uh, I can still remember reading out my first team sheet for a skills day at Taranaki, and I got about three names deep and had to hand it over to one of the guys I was working with because I couldn't pronounce the names. So, so there's a lot of that, you know, a lot of the, the different way people live um, from different backgrounds over here is real different. You know, there's 
you know, especially the Pacifica players are really relaxed off the field and how you motivate them and coach them is completely different to how you would coach a, a European player and that's one of New Zealand's real strengths, isn't it? When we get that balance right within our groups is we can have the real power and the real flair of the, the Pacifica and the, and the Maori boys and the, you know, the farming kids with the work ethic and the sort of resilience from their upbringing is, is there for everybody to see. So, so from that side of it, it was, you know, it was a real challenge or a real excitement really, you know, um, a real difference. And then on the field, yeah, there's, there is a difference from a mindset, I think, as, as kids growing up in New Zealand, as you say, want to play with the ball and, and have some real attacking mindset. But, you know, I think that's slowly changing even in the Northern Hemisphere. You know, you watch teams like an Exeter play or, you know, you look at what Northampton have done this year or you watch England under-20s play or under-18s. There's a real philosophy now to use the ball and, and try and have different styles to, to adapt and play. So, you know, I think it's a lot more, it's a lot closer on the field now than maybe it was, you know, five years ago or ten years ago especially. But um, off the field, it was certainly, you know, a real, a real change. We are seeing that in the sevens, aren't we? How, like, England, how well England's doing. Is, is that just because that's, like, by necessity that, um, you know, that sevens is such a free-flowing game that they've picked it up? Or it is because it, the mindset is slowly changing? Yeah, I think it's a necessity of the game. You can't really, you know, stick the ball up your, your jumper playing sevens. You've got to have a real attack mindset and you only have to look around the world now. You know, you've got flair. You know, you watch Kenya play or Argentina play, England play, Scotland play. You know, you watch Ireland, who've just qualified, play a really good brand of sevens. So the world, you know, is a, it's a different world sevens. Um, all the teams can attack and play. So I guess that's what's making the World Series so exciting at the minute. Talked a little bit before about your coaching background. Um, how you arrived in 2008. When I was looking up your CV, you had worked, you'd previously worked for New Zealand Sevens um, as a skills coach, and you also worked for the Hurricanes in the Super Rugby competition mm-hmm. as an assistant coach. And then in 2015, you moved to London Irish as an assistant coach. Did you think in two years you'd be back here as a head coach of the, of the New Zealand Sevens team? Nah, you know, I said before, we came for one year and it turned into seven or nearly eight. Um, I think when we went to London Irish, we sort of thought, you know, that'd be us back in, in the Northern Hemisphere. We went from, you know, one little girl to three. So I guess we sort of thought we would be basing ourselves over there now and, and uh, I suppose migrating back towards Scotland eventually. And the opportunity after the, the last Olympics, you know, New Zealand rugby decided to make a change around, you know, how the programme was going to look and Titch was finishing up. So when I spoke to, to New Zealand rugby around the opportunity and, you know, my wife and I thought at the time London was, was probably not for us. Um, you know, an awesome city, but with three young kids, it was probably the wrong time um, for us to be there, you know, enjoying what London's got to offer um, behind the scenes. So, so yeah, the, as I say, the, the opportunity came up, and I guess we just thought, you know, from a flam- family perspective, we really enjoyed what New Zealand provided for us as a family. It is a long way from home, so that's got some challenges. But having worked with a team previous, it was, you know, it was a team I really enjoyed working with. Um, I felt it was a team that that I, I could add to, um, you know, they were going to go through a transitional period after the Olympics, so we're going to centralise here in, in Mount Maunganui, and it was really an opportunity that I thought was, was too good to turn down, and you know, something I was really, you know, proud and I suppose really humbled by the opportunity to come and coach this team and, and try and do my bit to improve, you know, improve the team. When NZ Rugby reached out to you, was it something that you had been expecting, or was it quite a surprise for you? Oh, I'd always kept in touch with the Simmons, you know, even with Titch and that, we'd always, I'd always when they came to London, I would go and watch them train and I'd always kept a really close eye on how the game was looking and, you know, I suppose with a couple of guys above me and, and Tony Philp and Don Tricker at the time who I would speak to still around opportunities in New Zealand or where my career was at. When I left New Zealand, one of the good things about New Zealand rugby is that they keep in touch. 
So I met Don, I can't remember when it was in London, and he was just talking about some opportunities that might come up in, in New Zealand in a couple of years or in the next year. So I guess it was always there, you know, in the back of my mind, would it come up, would, you know, would there be an opportunity to, to put my name in the hat, and I suppose that's how it worked out in the end. You're also the first international coach to coach the NZ7s team. Can you describe what the reaction was like from the public and the rugby community? Yeah, well, the easy way to describe it is when you're winning, nobody cares, and when you lose, um, then it gets brought up that you're Scottish, I guess. So <laughs> I think the public, you know, without speaking to many people, the, the public I know were, were very supportive. You know, I'd done all my adult coaching in New Zealand. I'd been here for eight years previous. I had worked with the team, you know, previously, especially within the rugby community. You know, I've built some really good relationships around the, around the country, and, you know, I think a lot of the people within rugby teams in New Zealand see me as a, as a New Zealander when it comes to coaching rugby. But I suppose it adds a little bit of spice or a little bit of comment if, if you're not doing well and you know, it doesn't really doesn't really bother me that much that, you know, people might comment that you're Scottish originally. It's if people know how hard you work and, you know, how much energy you put into the team and can see the team improving and, you know, that's where my energy is, is really at is to try and work hard and do a good job and, you know, hopefully if people can see that it we have made some shifts. Uh, we're not as consistent as probably what we'd like still this year, but we've certainly made some really good shifts on and off the field over the last 18 months. With the next tournament being based in London that you're heading off to, does it take on any extra significance for you being the only one that's based in Britain? Oh, I certainly think it's um, it's good to go home. I used to, the last time I was with the team, they actually had tournaments, one in Glasgow and one in Edinburgh, both the years. And I remember winning in Glasgow with the team. The team played extremely well that weekend. And you had a real sense of pride that you were home and, and the team had done well and you were working with them. So again, it's similar where, you know, potentially a few of your mates come down to the tournament or your family come and watch and, um, you know, it's good to catch up just with with people back in the UK. So, yeah, we're all excited around getting back to the UK. It's a tournament we enjoy, Twickenham. You know, it's a great stadium, great great field. It's a good week. So, so now it's certainly, as a, as a Scotsman going home and being closer to home, it's good to not have a 12-hour time distance on the, on the phone calls and makes communication a little bit easier and as I say we're quite excited to get back there and try and play well. And what I found really interesting when I was looking at previous winners of the London tournament is that Scotland have actually won two of the past mm. three times. You know, with right. Yeah, more recently than, than New Zealand which Correct. I found quite interesting. Yeah, it is. It's, um, you know, they beat New Zealand in, in a group game for the first time ever a couple of years ago and I was there, I'd, I'd accepted this job and I was moving back here in the July and I always joked, I thought I'd be a lot happier to see Scotland beat New Zealand for the first time in any form of rugby. Um, but because I was now um, working with a team behind, you know, behind the scenes a wee bit before I got back in the July, I was a bit disappointed. So, so now Scotland, you know, we've got Scotland in our group, we've got England in our group, and we've got Ireland in our group. So, mm-hmm. so we're under no illusions, um, three teams with no travel. Um, you know, England with everything to play for around Olympic qualification. Scotland have got a new coach. Um, and Ireland are on the World Series for the first time. We really see it as a, a, a tricky group. Um, we're under no illusions that it's going to be a tough, tough day one for us. Um, so we're actually travelling. You know, part of our plan was to travel early anyway, but it makes me feel a bit more comfortable that we are going up on Friday and we get an extra couple of days to settle in and, and have a really good training week because we're going to need it um, getting ready for those three teams. And just on Scotland, I know that Scotland and New Zealand don't have a historical rugby rivalry like, say, England, Ireland and Wales. Uh, has, has the relationship developed in the past few years in your eyes with Scotland just recently beat New Zealand in the sevens and with a number of Kiwis coaching and playing over there? You know, I've been away from Sc- Scotland rugby for 10 years and you can see in the last two, three, you know, maybe five years, especially since the last World Cup, that 
through Vern Cotter and now Gregor Townsend and, and through the, you know, Dave Rennie coaching Glasgow and um, Richard Cockrell at Edinburgh, the, the, the game's really developed. I think people see Scotland now as a genuine threat. I think the, the style of rugby they're playing, trying to play is, uh, is an exciting one. It causes teams problems. You know, up, Scotland nearly beat the All Blacks two years ago at Murrayfield. It was the last gasp tackle from uh, from Bowden that, that probably stopped Scotland beating New Zealand. So, so yeah, we certainly in the, in the sevens world have, have really close games. We've played them a fair bit this year, and I think every every game we've had, there's probably only been one score in it at half time, and and there's been a score in it a couple of times at the end of the game, and we've pulled away in a couple. So, so their, their game and their, their player development, I think, behind the scenes is is obviously you can see that by the way they're playing at the top level is is obviously they've got a lot of stuff in place now. It took us. Um, maybe a long time to adjust to professional rugby in Scotland, how many teams we had and who would pay for it and so on. So it took a long time for it to settle. But I certainly think in the last you know, five years, especially at the top end of the game, it's looking really promising. Great. Thank you for that, Clark. And thank you for joining us on the Tea with the High Commission podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review as it helps others find us. And remember, you can subscribe to us by searching for Tea with the High Commission on iTunes or Spotify. Thank you. Kakiti Anon.